The soybean panel today consists of Chip Nellinger. He's with Blue Reef Agri Marketing. Ellen Dearden is here, is from Ag Review. From agtradertalk.com in the middle is Merrill Crowley. And Dave Chatterton is with us. Dave joins us on the Ag Energy section and had done the 855 on Friday morning, but the folks from Strategic Farm Marketing keeping busy enough and on the road enough uh, that his colleague is there now. And next to him is Chuck Shelby of Risk Management Commodities, and he joins us on Commodity Week as well. Uh, which is a program that you can hear on Friday afternoon. So we're going to talk about the marketplace. If you've got questions, just hold your hand up and we'll get them uh, answered. I think, Ellen Dearden, I'll start with you. Uh, just offhand, can you lay out uh, kind of a quick fundamental picture for soybeans at this particular time? Um, we've got good demand, both on the crush side. I'm talking about... Uh the U.S. situation right now and good demand on the export side. So we've got strong demand and well-known uh, size of the crop in the U.S. However, a big wild card is uh, the South American crop. Looks like Brazil's really big. Looks like Argentina's kind of smallish. And uh, the other big question is, what is China going to do? Uh, they say they're going to increase acreage of soybeans over the next year's time. But um, we don't know what what the situation is there. Uh, on China, I want to talk just a little bit about uh, the export market, Dave, as it relates to ag energies and what uh, – this is a long, convoluted way to get to this – but what you think in the northwestern Corn Belt soybean acreage will look like based on exports there and the – impending renewable diesel development. Yeah, Todd, a lot of moving pieces in that puzzle. Um, if we look at China's imports since they came out of COVID, so, you know, December 10th, China's government declares COVID's over, go back to your normal routine. You know, three years of lockdown, we go to that. Since then, their soybean imports January and February from all sources, um, U.S. and South America included, uh, at a record pace, a little bit over 8 million metric tons a month. Whether that's an arboration or whether that's the start of a trend and, and pent-up demand, we're going to find out. Crush margins there and hog margins, hog production margins are not the best. They're a little bit dicey. They're a little bit reluctant to take forward coverage. When you flip that back to where we're at with the U.S., we know that even with the problems in Argentina, we've got South America in a position where they're going to have either a record or very close to a record soybean supply. The, the losses in Argentina made up for by the gains in Brazil and not, you know, and a little extra to go. Having said that, China's reserve buying for soybeans later in the year has to come from either Argentina or the USPNW because of oil content and the storability of those beans. What that means is that we have extra soybean demand off the PNW, as well as all of these renewable diesel plants that are on the table. Some are in production, We've got one or two that are up and going and new this year three or four or five more that are in the in the works. With all of that, our sources there indicate we don't have a big movement in acreage. The corn-soybean ratio has not been favorable to beans. Small grains and specialty grains in that area are still highly profitable in most cases, uh, you know, and, and corn is a player. So the acreage, I don't think, shifts a lot, although on paper, it certainly needs to. Speaking of paper, in, in the trade, Merrill Crowley, uh, the markets move a lot sometimes with the funds. That's 
kind of what we think happened at the end of the Feb, uh, February. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Um, but I'm also interested to know what you see in the chart picture. Basically, the charts have been sideways to um, – they went lower in February, which is not uncommon. When you have a high move up in the first part of the month, the latter part of the month tends to move down. Um, it depends on what contract you're looking at. The old contracts, like the May and the July, are looking a lot different than, say, the November. The November contracts are looking really bearish right now. Uh, there is some uh, – there's been better buying as we've started buying back in the first of uh, March here this year, but the old crop right back to $15 again. And it makes sense when you've got roughly a 220 million carryout. Uh, that's tight. Uh, and we still are trying to figure out what's happening with South America. Chart wise, um, it looks very similar to several years that we have following droughts. Um, the one exception is the 1997, where that market was high early, dropped down into July like we did this year, rallied back up into the fall and stayed high uh, into December. So um, I guess I'm looking at this thing a little different than just the charts right now. Um, I'm looking at this as the problem or the tightness in the world right now is here. It's here in the U.S. And the thing that's really keeping this market supported is the weather problems in South America. We just saw something yesterday that was very bullish out of um, Argentina, talking about the crop being worse than it was in 08 and 09. And the market seemed to just ignore it. In the corn market, it went down, but the bean market was supported by that information. And the big support was, like Ellen said, it's in the meal. And you look at a meal chart, it's making new highs on the old crop. So as long as the meal goes up, the beans will follow it chart-wise. And then the other is the weather. Uh, are they going to get their corn planted? It seems like they are. They're going to have the biggest planting area, Montegrosso, is going to have like 10% that they're going to have to plant uh, in, in a, what they would consider a not appropriate time period or a late planting time period. So I, I guess chart-wise, uh, we would have to go lower uh, than what we made our lows at. But I will say we'd been making higher highs, higher lows all the way up in the old crop. Until just recently, we made that last higher high, we pulled back and we made a new lower low breaking two previous lower lows. That's a warning sign. You have to see if that warning sign is going to prove out. If we end up short and don't make a new high this time moving up, that warning sign is starting to develop into something serious. Chuck Shelby, I know you're in Indiana, but the Illinois uh, State uh Illinois Soybean Association talks about three out of every four rows in the state of Illinois being exported for soybean. Uh, however, as I'm listening to, to what Merrill has to say and thinking about the really strong crush that we've had for a couple of years, domestic issues seem to be playing. Where does that meal go in the United States and what drives the demand uh, in that marketplace? Well, really, the uh, poultry and uh, pork industry is where a lot of that goes. Uh, we've seen some problems with uh, the poultry production, which is kind of a, uh, a herd on the meal. Uh, cattle industry, we have one of the smallest cow herds in many years. 
So we're losing some demand there. But uh, I, th I think the positive thing for meal is with Argentina losing their production, they're the biggest meal producer basically in the world. Uh, we're going to replace some of that. And I think that's a positive. And I think going back to Dave's point, does that meal go to China? Uh, that's something that could really help that market out, even though domestically we might be a little bit short on usage. And Chip, I'll get to you in a second, but because the two of you have addressed this, uh, and much of that goes out the P&W, which is set up to export whole soybeans, not bean meal, where do we export bean meal from? And can we really get it to China, or will they just take the beans and crush them? Todd, I guess the way that I would see that, I think that, you know, we can export some meal, but traditionally it's just not. The logistics don't work in a way that's economical, as you indicated. I think what the question is going to be is how many beans can Argentina import from Brazil logistically? On paper, they need to import, I'm going to say six and a half to seven and a half million metric tons to keep their meal exports at a point where we can satisfy China, if that's the question. Logistically, that's going to be a big challenge for them. It's going to create price volatility and, and certainly some surprises in the marketplace. But it's a situation that's that's ripe for a little bit of, you know, like I said, a, a shocker here and there in a situation where what we don't see coming in last minute hand to mouth type buying that we're seeing from China currently. When China doesn't have a forward margin, they're not active forward bookers um, in terms of the crushers there. And the situation right now is that they're trying to go hand from mouth. And so if all of a sudden we have that issue where Argentina can't keep up, you have an explosive meal market, those economics change, and we'll see some exports from the Gulf. So that tells me if whole soybeans are going to cross the border from Brazil to Argentina being made into meal and crushed and then exported out to China, uh, because that's what normally would happen with meal there, whole soybeans gotta, must come out of the United States. Chip Nellinger to support the marketplace yeah, I, in, in other places. Absolutely. I, I maybe have the easiest part of this because I get to wrap up all four of the previous uh, uh, comments. But that I think that's what the market is trying to figure out. How small is the bean crop in Argentina? How many beans are they going to have to import from Brazil? How many does that leave Brazil left with to supply China and the rest of the world? And where do we fit in into that equation in the United States? And, you know, as I look back at the end of February, in my mind, beans should have been leading us lower. They didn't break until like the last day of February because the funds took some profits and they caught up a little bit to wheat and corn. Meal didn't even make close below the previous swing low. So to Merrill's point earlier, until meal breaks, beans aren't going to break. And it acts to me like uh, maybe we're going to end up down the road and figure out, hey, Argentina was well sub uh, 30 million ton crop and maybe brazil ended up sub 150 not 153 or 154 like we were thinking a couple months ago it's just my head talking right now but the bean market to me in the face of a massive brazil harvest acts pretty darn good right now aren't supply chains fun <laughs> just trying to follow everything and figure out what that means to your local basis uh, and i'm wondering how farmers should consider what they've just heard, uh, in particularly how closely they need to watch their local bases, uh, and if that is expected to be stronger um, than normal because the world market simply is still short supply of beans. Is that, is that or first, am I correct in all of that? Uh, yeah, kind of. Kind of. <laughs> uh, 
You know, we we found out during COVID that we could move things in new ways, different ways than we'd been using, you know, doing things before. And it appears to me that we will continue to shuffle beans around and corn around in from areas where they are to where they're needed. So, therefore, it seems to me that Illinois is going to become a really big-time crush mar- market. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? If you're in Champaign or in Gibson City, that's a great thing. You know, if you're in northern part of Illinois, not so good. So we've got, I think we will see basis shift to those um, markets where processors are king and probably away from the river system. I'm in the Peoria area, so I'm very familiar with with moving beans down the river. Um, and the I think the uh, market for beans, the export market for beans will continue to grow out of the Pacific Northwest rather than the Gulf. Anybody have a different take on how this impacts the marketplace? I'm going to go with no. Um, so what what are farmers to do with uh, – you can talk about old crop if you want, but with just new crop sales, given what we've heard uh, thus far about what sounds like a really particularly strong bean market going forward, but that doesn't always compute in the back of our minds with what we've been hearing for the last month and a half or so? Well, I, I think it's going to come down to acres. Uh, USGA projected 91 million corn. They had the B number at a lower number than we think. Uh, last year at this meeting, we were the lowest of all that projected corn acres at 89 and a half. Uh, I think this year, the surprise to the market is, and and the budgets that we saw today, uh, even in Illinois, it's $20 better an acre to grow soybeans. So our view is that soybean acres could be closer to 90 million and corn could be under 90 million. So I think there's a little bit of a potential negative to soybeans coming that if we grew acres that much and had a good yield, uh, that's the negative to the soybean market. One thing I think you could look at soybeans and say it's a profitable level. We don't like the corn price right now, the new crop corn price, but soybeans it's not the greatest price, not the price we've seen in the last several years, but but it does represent profit. So we like taking advantage of that and, and look forward down the road. And with a big yield, that could still be a problem for soybeans. Um, one thing I'll point out on the, the bean acre question or comments is that um, the North Dakota can grow a heck of a bean crop and they have increased bean acres on a regular basis. They get a lot more sunshine in the summer than we do. Think about it. We talk about we want to plant beans early to capture more sunlight in Illinois. Well, North Dakota won't capture more sunlight in in uh, March and April or even in May. But, man, they can gather the sunshine all summer long. So I think the bean acre shift may come more in the northern areas than in the south. And I think that's supported by, if I remember right, three potential renewable diesel or new plants that are crushing in in North Dakota coming online by the end of the year, if I remember Soon. correctly. Yeah, so that, that does change things some. Does anybody have a question out here? I haven't turned to you yet. If you do, just raise your hand and we'll get to you. Yes, sir. Aviation fuel and renewable diesel. Yes, go ahead. 
So I was wondering how many bushels of beans that will take. <laughs> Scott Irwin might be able to answer that question this afternoon, unless somebody else up here has an idea or wants to take a shot at it. The only thing I would say is I, I'll leave the projections to people way smarter than me, but it's not just turn the switch and it's all the demand right now. And so if we do lose some exports to Brazil, my fear is that it's not immediately overtaken by the, all this biodiesel, renewable biodiesel demand. And, and then that kind of messes up the whole crush, right? So we start crushing a lot more. We're going to have a lot more meal eventually. And so that's going to weigh on corn. It's a whole new dynamic. I think it's two to five years out rather than the next 12 months. Need more chickens. <laughs> is that like the cows that say eat more chickens we need we just need more chickens to consume the bean meal all right so so what are producers to do and i think Marilla, i'll start with you about uh marketing plans for new crop soybeans well it's obvious first you need to know what you need to have to make your plan work what prices it's that simple um i was talking to a customer we were seeing the corn market decline, and I asked him if he'd run his figures. No, no, I'm too busy. I said, you need to get that done. I get a call from him the very next day, and he tells me on his farm that the 45-cent drop in corn took his profit potential and just cut it in half. And he was almost in a panic, which I told him, I said, you know, this market, usually a year following a drought, and there's nothing usual about this year, I guarantee you. But usually a market following a drought will fluctuate and move sideways. The one that comes to mind the most for me is 89. And we had like four moves towards a high until summer. We get the last summer rally and then that's it if we have a crop. And we're going to have a good summer rally with things as tight as they are here in the U.S., and from what I read about the weather. So you got to have your numbers because that last summer rally, if you get to that and you're still holding on to beans, it's quick. 21 calendar days. And the last day that gets you up to where those other highs are is let is a, maybe a day or two. So you got to have your numbers in mind first and foremost. And it, I guess what I'm looking at to all this, I think it's, it's kind of confusing where we're going, it's something new. Not only do we have our normal crop demand uh, from and a loss in Argentina because of the weather and questions about the Brazilian crop because of the weather, we also have the question mark over the economy. What is going to happen? From what I've read, it looks like the problems with the economy could come together in October or the latter part of this year. That's not uncommon to see that occur. So if you look at 2009, when we came off of 2008 because of those problems, we had a big decrease in the market. We still had the sideways movement, but at a much lower level. The thing I think we should probably look at and concentrate the most is ask yourself, where can I get hurt the most in my farming operation if we do have inflation, if we don't have a crop? If Brazil has weather problems down the road and try and cover that the best you can. 
How do you help a farmer manage risk for soybean? Yeah, I think it starts with what Merrill said, the this, this same uh, kind of strategy every year. Know where your budget is, what Gary put up earlier. Um, know where your crop insurance revenue is going to come in. We've had, uh, I think the thing I'd say here is we, in the last year and a half, we've had eight, I believe, dollar and a half, minimum dollar and a half moves, both higher and lower. Some of them were well over $2. And the market's kind of gotten people complacent. And, and so... Uh, my, my message is the same. Use the volatility that you're seeing to try to position yourself so that you're right no matter what happens. You've got profits locked in. If we have a drought down the road, maybe that's some calls, minimum price contracts, maybe it's puts where you have some upside if we do get into a rally situation. Because as tight as it is in the world, if we end up seeing these smaller crops than what the market had digested earlier in South America and it remains tight here. We're going to have opportunities, but to Merrill's point, they could be gone in a in a heartbeat. So, know where you're know where you're at budget wise. Use the volatility to position so you have upside potential. So I'll try and pick up where where Chip left off, and I'll get advice. I, I think you guys are in are always in, but particularly this year, in a little bit of a tough spot. <laughs> We have a situation where it's a very high stakes years. We, we've talked a little bit about our input costs. We know that they're up. In our models right now, we're using $1,100, you know, with a, with a laying cost for break even on corn, 800 on soybeans. We also know, and there's been some discussion today, or we, I shouldn't say we know, we are going to think it highly likely that direct government payments this year are going to be down significantly from what you've had in the past several years. That... Those two combinations raise your room for error or margin for error to a point that is, to Merrill's point, changes very quickly with price. We are also in a situation where futures market volatility has never been higher. The average range in soybeans, high to low in a month's time anymore, is around $1.80. And that goes to Chip's point of where we're at. So that kind of volatility can work for you and it can certainly work against you. When we look at the balance sheets and where we're going, a 220 million bushel old crop carry out right now in the U.S., plus or minus what the USDA may say tomorrow, doesn't leave us much room for error. That's a situation where if we get the acres, we get the trend yield, and our carry out goes up, we're down a dollar or dollar fifty compared to where we're at harvest compared to where we're at today. We're also in the situation where we don't get those acres, and that La Nina doesn't perform, and we have a weather blip or a drought issue. We have an explosive market higher because the South American crop has gotten smaller. I think what all that tells you is, first of all, if you haven't signed up for your crop insurance, the deadline is next week. Make sure you get that done. The spring price is thirteen seventy six. It's a subsidized product. It's the best risk management you can buy, buck for buck. Beyond that, uh, to the point here, don't be complacent. I've talked the last two years in this forum and, and really to all of our customers about being on the offensive, waiting for higher prices, looking for values to improve, trying to maximize margins. This is a year where I think you need to be more on the defensive. You need to take profit when it's available. And I'll, I'll refer to it, Todd, as sell and defend. I would rather sell here or sometime this spring at a level that I feel is profitable and defend that position with calls or call spreads down the road. For example, a dollar up, a dollar call spread against November beans right now. It's probably going to cost you 32, 33, 31 cents, but it's a known cost. It has no margin capability. Use those and educate yourself, those tools, and educate yourself about those to be in a position to 
have eliminated some of your downside risk at a profitable level, but maintain some upside because at the end of the day, we can all talk about it. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen and weather is going to be the great equalizer. I think one of the ma major differences, we've all been at these meetings. We usually talk about the weather exports and things like that. But we have a couple of events going on. The war in Ukraine is so unpredictable. I, I think that's something we don't know the outcome on. It, it's not a good thing for world happiness, world trade. Uh, you've got China running balloons across the United States. They're very good at gamesmanship. Uh, yeah, they could buy someday, but you don't know what that is. They could drive the price down and wait till summer to buy. So I think it goes back to being defensive in this environment. We've had a couple of great years as farmers, but I think it really comes back to managing the risk. And the risk is more to the downside, more than we've had for multiple years. So you need to maintain profit on your farm. That means you got to take some kind of strategies to protect that. Alan? Um, I think we get kind of lost on times that old crop, which still looks pretty darn friendly with low carryout expected, $15 price. And then we see new crop price for fall at $13.50, $13.40, and we get discouraged. Um, so I would, would suggest, like um, Dave pointed out, playing defense this year looks more judicious to me than it has in the past couple of years. And when we play defense, it means go ahead and do some sell, sell and defend if, if you have to. But um, I think you need to get busy on making sales of beans. The, the tip off to me is gonna be if the meal market falls apart. And should that happen, I think we would need to really step up selling this new crop. Any final word on, from either Chip or Merrill? I think we've actually just about finished our time up. All good? I would agree with what everyone said. 